Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our reading from John today differs from the other gospel writers in the account of Palm Sunday. In all the other gospels, the evangelists record the event just as it unfolds. There's Jesus telling them to go on to the city where they will find the colt to untie it, to say that the master needs it. They all write of how the prophecy is fulfilled in Jesus. They speak to the actions of the people and then give the response of the rulers at the end. And only in John do we find that this Palm Sunday text starts as a follow-up to what happened in Bethany. And he also gives us a commentary on the religious leaders wanting to kill Lazarus and then gives us just a few verses to capture Palm Sunday. Surprisingly, John does not give us all the details of the event or the moments that happened right before like he usually does when he is painting a picture with his words. Remember when he would go so far as numbering the fish? Yes, very good. But then again, he was not a hostler or donkey man to the layperson. So maybe that had something to do with why his writing seems to lack some details here, but probably not. Rather, I think John actually asks us to step out of the moment and to reflect on Palm Sunday after it happens, like he had to. For John, the entry into Jerusalem is something we're supposed to think about after. And when we do this, we get, even without details, the ability to see what others wanted in the moment of this very big day. Because we are given a few different groups' perspective on this event that we can reflect on. Now our reading that I'd like to start with comes to us at verse 9, just a few verses before where we had read for us at the beginning of the service. And it reads as follows. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. And then at the very end, it picks up on the last perspective of the religious leaders where because the people had heard that he had performed this sign and went out to meet him in verse 18 the Pharisees said to one another this is getting us nowhere the whole world has gone after him oh go back one sir now our first perspective is that of these religious leaders you'll remember that last week that after seeing this miracle of Lazarus being raised from the dead that many in Bethany believed in Jesus and this is the result the heart of the Pharisees is to kill. We've known all along that they have desired to kill Jesus. They say it's because he broke the Sabbath or because he is trying to make himself equal to God by calling himself the Son of God. But really it is because they are afraid. They're afraid to lose their place afraid to lose their power, their profit, their way of life, their status, the illusion of how important they are. And we can tell that now it has gotten so very bad that they even want to kill Lazarus, a man who didn't do anything other than have 
Jesus raise him from the dead, a miracle that he did not ask for. But because Jesus did it, well, this man must also die. Now, if you'll recall, Jesus had done several signs before this, but it seems that none of them had infuriated them as much as this one. Not when he healed the paralytic, not when he healed the blind man or restored the dignity of an adulterer, not when he fed 5,000, but this sign performed after so many has truly changed their heart before they were satisfied just to discredit Jesus. And now, well, now they must even kill those who were associated and healed by him. And I thought about this for quite some time because I couldn't understand it. Why didn't they want to kill the blind man? Why were they content with just tossing him out? And the answer is because the blind man was a nobody. Because the fact is, who cares if a blind beggar is killed? It wouldn't make much of a difference. Who cares if some poor person who couldn't walk now suddenly could? And sometimes we get caught up in the miracles that it's actually quite shocking to see how the religious leaders of the day cared so very little for the poor, for the vulnerable, for the least. Especially when we compare that to our Lord Jesus who would not only heal them, but also forgive them, would seek them out, and would even bring them to faith. May God give us the grace, the strength, and desire to do the same. But they wanted to kill Lazarus because he was a man of stature. He was a man of some importance. We know this because of how many mourners attended his funeral. People knew him. And as Pastor Tim mentioned last week, some say that he even was at the front of the parade. And the only way to deal with people who didn't care about getting kicked out of the temple, the only way to deal with people who were actually known, is to get rid of them. The very first perspective that we are shown of those who were there in attendance at Palm Sunday is the one that would say, destroy Jesus and all who follow him all who have benefited from him, all who call him Lord. And if you think that things have changed, because we live today and not back then, because we live in a more civilized time, then you are mistaken. You are looking at the world as if we here are the only ones in it and forgetting about the struggles and the persecution of our brothers and sisters around the world. And you are also forgetting that if they can't destroy your body, well, they will take your mind and they will discredit truth so that all that remains will be whatever they want said. Because they are desperate to remain in control by any means necessary and no one will be left in their way. The second perspective that we receive I don't think is any better. It's of the crowd. The great crowd had come for the festival, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, took palm branches, went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who has come in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. The great crowd gathers for something that was like a patriotic parade. Palm branches are the symbol of Jewish nationalism since the time of the Maccabees. From the time of the Maccabees, palms or palm branches 
That meant religious freedom. It meant political freedom. It meant being your own. They were there in the procession which celebrated the rededication of the temple in 164 BC. And they were there when they celebrated and they won their battle. They went so far as even putting palms on their coins. They greeted Jesus as king because they were looking for a political, a national savior who would free them from foreign oppression. They could care less about a spiritual savior to free them from their sins. Even the word Hosanna means save now. Save us now from this political turmoil that we are in. Save us now from this oppression that we are in by these Romans. Welcome King who will meet our expectations. What we got here is the perspective of a people who want to use Jesus for their purposes, not for His. And we must be very careful here. Careful of using Jesus for our purposes and not for the purpose that he came. And this happens often. To use people, but to hide it in religious language. To be close to God with our words, but far from him with our hearts. To say the words of those who follow Jesus, but twist them to make sure that what we want will happen. Dressing it up so very, very close to the truth but in the end, it comes down to the same thing of money and power. And if it's not using Jesus for profit or power or politics, well, we are all guilty of using Jesus as if he were what Janet Jackson was singing about, what have you done for me lately, Jesus? Because Jesus is supposed to be the one who gives us what we want. Jesus can be there when we need him. He can leave us alone when we don't need him, but he needs to come through for us when things get out of control. Otherwise, it's okay if Jesus stays in his lane and I'll stay in mine. Guilty of having a relationship with Jesus based on expectations and an understanding of lives with ourselves in the center. And I think that this is even more dangerous than being persecuted for Jesus because of how difficult it is to recognize it when it is in ourselves. It's a way of Jesus without the cross. Or rather, a way of Jesus going to the cross, us getting the benefits, but not bearing our own. And then we have one more, that of the disciples. They did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize. The disciples we already know are always messing up, rarely understanding. But I wonder if here the perspective was getting caught up in the moment. I've been to Disneyland. Have you been to Disneyland? Yeah, you have. How about those parades? They're okay. They're not as good as the rides. Unless it's the electric light orchestra parade. You've seen that one? You've seen it. You know what I'm talking about. You know how exciting it is. Thank you for that nod. The dancing, the shouting, those weird little bugs. 
It's all pretty cool. I bet that Palm Sunday prayed was so loud that, well, gosh, if the people weren't crying out, do you think the stones would have cried out? They probably would have. I bet during that parade, it was very easy to forget about a cross and three days and those things that Jesus had said about suffering. Because when things are going good, it's very easy to forget and to just build barns, call yourself blessed, and say, this is good. Let's have some more good. I like the good. Let's keep this going. Good times, good vibes, good, good. And I'm not saying, friends, that we should never have joy or be happy. But we do call quite a few things blessed that we do not find in the Beatitudes. And we do that because it's offensive to think that a life shouldn't be happy or good all the time. It's offensive to think that we ought to embrace suffering. It's offensive to think that Jesus, the loving Jesus, would ask me to bear a cross. It's offensive to think that priorities should be to help others and serve and care. John, brutally honest here, admits that they were caught up in it didn't want to look ahead, preferred to be distracted. And if you had to pick something that unites all three of these perspectives, I would say it would be fear. The leaders afraid to lose their position, the people afraid to not have their expectations met, and the disciples afraid that the good times would end. Fear has a way of clouding judgment, perspective, and actions. But there is a hint here that in a week, perspective can change from fear to something deep and rich. The perspective of Jesus, of Jesus who here in verse 14 finds the donkey, sits on it, and says, do not be afraid. Your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. John doesn't cite the verse or give the reason why it's there. He just captures the action of your Jesus. How Jesus did this not only to fulfill prophecy, but to demonstrate his character, the character of his kingdom. A spiritual kingdom, not a military kingdom or a political kingdom. Coming to bring peace, not war. Coming humbly, not for himself, but for each one of us. The king enters to finish what was promised in the garden. Not to finish off these religious leaders who are pitted as his enemies. He comes to finish off the real enemy, death. He doesn't come to change the politics of Jerusalem or probably not ours. He doesn't come for profits or prestige, but he comes to change hearts. Change hearts. and to bring eternal salvation to those who would believe. He did not come to be distracted by coats and palms or to sit on a throne and have a good life, but came for nails and thorns and a cross so that we, we could have life. And John would tell you that you cannot have the perspective of Jesus until after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. Because everything looks different once that happens. 
after you have seen that Jesus bears the burden of our punishment, after you have seen and heard that Jesus would offer you life and salvation, after you have witnessed that he can even rise from the dead and that he now rules over all things, you take on a new perspective, not of anger or murder, not of using or forgetting, but something deep and rich, something that is life-giving. Something that changes your heart. For only the King who comes in the name of the Lord by way of the cross can remove that anger from our hearts, can cover that fear that each of us holds when our status or the things we have are not what we want. And only the king who comes in the name of the Lord can give you peace that will pass all understanding, will create you anew, will teach you how to worship him in spirit and truth, will open your eyes so that you can truly see, will raise you, for he is the wonderful king the merciful King, the loving King, who says, do not be afraid. I have come to you, and I have come for you. Amen.